Hi, I'm Dr. Kelly Valentine. I am a board-certified veterinary behaviorist and a co-author on Living With and Loving a Pet with Behavioral Problems, Pet Owners' Experiences. And you're listening to another episode of the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to the Animal Academy Podcast. I'm Allison White, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker who specializes in the human-animal connection. This podcast will showcase professionals who share their areas of expertise in an ongoing series of interviews, and you are there. Their input, stories, and knowledge will help us all understand that we are the ones that actually end up learning from the animals. This is the Animal Academy Podcast. Welcome to the Animal Academy podcast. I've noticed many people who have puppies or who have recently adopted dogs. Maybe it's due to the pandemic and you're spending more time at home and think it's a good time to add a furry member of your family. Whatever the reason, adding a new dog is a fun time, but it also requires training at the basic level to have a dog who fits in with your lifestyle and who doesn't jump, destroy your house, doesn't pee on the floor, and is a well-behaved new family member. Due to the need to social distance, I panicked at the thought of not being enrolled in a puppy obedience class. A friend recommended that I contact Kama Brown for her online class called Puppy Training During the Pandemic, and we'll be talking with her today about her training classes and answer some of the more common dog training questions. Hello, Kama, and welcome to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Yeah, of course. I love talking about puppies and training. So, Kama, could you tell us a little bit about your background and your dog training business? Sure. I have had this dog training business since about 2006. It's definitely changed over the years. Back when I first started, we had a very different way of how we trained puppies. And over the years, we've had more information from animal behaviorists and from scientists and just from other experts. And so it's definitely changed drastically, the puppy training that we're doing today versus 2006. And so that a big part of my job has just been keeping up with the science, keeping up with the education and just really all the new developments and the, the new things that are going on in the world of animal training. Mm-hmm. And besides that, just pretty much daily training of puppies. <laughs> and, and That'll keep you busy. That'll definitely keep you busy. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like you said, especially in the pandemic, there's been quite an uptick. Well, I immediately, ownership. yeah, I immediately jumped on it like, oh my gosh, this is the first time ever that I have not had a training scheduled with my puppy. Yeah, I think that the pandemic was actually a really wonderful time for a lot of people to get puppies. And I know that there were some debates about that, but I personally was in all favor of getting puppies when people could stay home with them. Very definitely. Although I have to tell you, working from home and having a puppy has been kind of a challenge, but we're, we're making some progress. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> Many times having a puppy is a lot like having a toddler. Yes. I could see the challenges of trying to do anything else. 
I've been in training all week, and my puppy jumped up on my lap and peed all over my laptop cord. So oh. that was a little bit of a <laughs> jump up. Well, and, how and many weeks is he now? Uh, he, he's actually three and a half months, so he just got overly excited after a nap. He does. He's, oh. he's <laughs> doing pretty well, but that was kind of an oops oh. moment. Yeah, they're, they're certainly great at um, throwing us off guard sometimes. That's right. <laughs> well, came up. You were telling me some very interesting facts before we started the podcast. So your business name is Forsta, dog training, but you said it's really pronounced Usta, which is Icelandic. Is that correct? Yes. So it's pronounced Usta, and it means to understand dog. I love that. Yeah, me too. (laughs) So what else do you do besides dog training? You said that you're doing quite a variety of other things. Besides dog training, well, everything we do sort of centers around the mental health of of dogs. So we also do dog boarding um, and dog daycare. And and we do all of these things are through the lens of dog training. All of the clients who come to us are through referral. So through the lens of dog training, we're, we're able to offer dog sitting and dog daycare and training classes and other types of enrichment that might not be available, but for some dogs is really critical. Mm-hmm. And that's how I found out about you through referral. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and you are a certified professional dog trainer. Is that correct? Yes. The CPDT is a national council, and it's something that I really recommend anyone who wants to be a dog trainer look into, and then certainly anyone who's hiring a dog trainer looks into, um, because dog training is an unregulated industry, and the language around dog training really does not have set in stone definitions. So it would be very easy for me to say, oh, well, I'm an animal behaviorist, or oh, I'm a master dog trainer, or, you know, I'm any number of things without, you know, it's not, it's not like saying you're a doctor saying you're a practitioner or something that we know is is backed by some level of education and experience. But the CPDT offers that. So it's it's sort of the dog training industry's way of certifying and and backing certain individuals with the education and the experience through the process of getting that certification. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Came out I've been enrolled, and actually my niece is in their class too, the Puppy Pandemic class. Could you explain how that works, including the awesome Facebook community you have set up? Yeah, so um, the Puppy Pandemic class, of course, came out of this pandemic. (laughs) Typically, I'm sure as everybody knows, when you have a puppy, you get together with a group of other puppy owners, and we sort of go over skills uh, one week at a time through the course of six or eight or 10 weeks, your puppy learns some valuable skills that can really influence their stability as an adult dog. But during the pandemic, we were all limited in our ability to get together. And so at the time, I had quite a few puppy owners that I was working with each week that I instantly was no longer able to see. And so it really came out of trying to finish up those puppies' education and then because the pandemic, well, I mean, this sounds so silly to say, but it lasted longer <laughs> than mm-hmm. I was originally expecting. Then I just went ahead and continued the class through um, adolescence into very early adulthood. And then 
went ahead and once those students had run through, I opened it up to the next classroom of students. And so um, it's actually been really great because, to be honest, what I'm able to deliver online is much more information than I'm ever able to deliver in person with the ability to pause and rewind and fast forward. That's what I really appreciated about the class because I didn't have a long period of time to sit down and watch when I had a small puppy. So, you know, I was taking it in bite-sized chunks and then I'd go and rewind and watch it again. Right, which which I think is a really, like, really wonderful thing to have come out of this pandemic is mm-hmm. to have access to information, you know, when you need it and as many times as you need it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, right. So, Kama, why is it important to follow certain steps when training a puppy? What do you mean by certain steps? Well, there seems to be building blocks to training. So when I first brought my puppy home, I really only concentrated on bonding uh, and basic skills such as housebreaking, crate training, and developing a routine. So I felt like I needed to have that in place before we then moved to the next step. Oh, I see. Yes, that is absolutely critical. So I think, um, actually, those things that you just pointed out are all really perfect starting points. But yes, it's, it's very important that your puppy has bonded with you and that your puppy feels safe in the environment that you're training in and that you have something that motivates your puppy um, and that you have your puppy's attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those things are really critical. And I think a lot of times, when puppy training can become very frustrating is that within training, ideally, we want to have small steps. So something that the puppy can do, for example, teaching the puppy, you know, to sit and pay attention to you in the kitchen, and then teaching the puppy to sit and pay attention to you on the front porch, and then teaching the puppy to sit and pay attention to you on the front porch when the mail is delivered. Like we need these small steps so that the puppy understands, even though something exciting has been entered into the environment that we are still expecting and still reinforcing the same behavior. But I think so often the times when we are most distracted is when our puppy is most distracted. And then that can become very frustrating for both puppy and owner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the attention piece is really, really important. And with puppies having such short attention spans, you really have to catch it you know, when when you're able to in the moment. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the myths of puppy ownership is that you really need to exercise a puppy quite a bit. And there's sort of a long time, I, I won't say wives' tale, because I think that at the time that the advice came out, it was really applicable. But I think now that a lot of what we're asking of pet dogs is to be sort of like, our sedentary companions during the day with maybe just, you know, a walk or two or maybe a romp in the field, but not full on working dogs. It's certainly not required anymore that we exercise puppies as much as I think that the myth is there that they need it. So I think a lot of times people get puppies and they think I really need to focus on this puppy and exercise this puppy. Um, But it's really much more in the beginning about keeping them on a consistent schedule and giving them enough time to sleep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, puppies are supposed to sleep anywhere from 19 to 20 hours a day. That's a lot of sleeping. (laughs) Yes, I think that that really 
really debunks a lot of what people are expecting. And I think it's very easy to get burnt out as a puppy owner when you are putting in so much time and energy in the first eight weeks when truly all of those physical needs aren't going to come later until about eight, nine months. Mm. I'll tell you what, that kind of falls in line with a conversation I had with my dog's veterinarian last week. And there's more and more research being done on canine sports medicine and growing puppies and what's uh, too much for their joints, their growing joints. And we were talking about how, you know, you have an energetic puppy, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should be walking that puppy on concrete for a long period of time because they're, that's not going to really solve the problem with the energy of a puppy. We think that the, the exercise is going to help, but it actually does some harm with walking a dog, you know, on concrete. Now, if you walk them in the park or something on grass and let them roam around on a long lead or something like that, that's a whole different story. But I thought that was interesting. We, you know, I think about, oh, I need to exercise my dog. But it's really the type of exercising. Some of the mental exercising is just as important. Yeah, I would actually say for most of our dogs, it's even more important because in in general, I sort of think that we've lost the nuance that comes from our particular breed and our particular lifestyle. And there is a lot of variety between breeds themselves and the owners who are caring for them. And so if you go out and you get a golden retriever, and you bring it home and you think it needs a lot of exercise, well, of course, if you have a very active lifestyle and you are, you know, hiking through the woods nine miles a day, then certainly you would want to start to condition your dog as it's aging, not as a 16-week-old, <laughs> but mm-hmm. certainly as a six-, seven-month-year-old dog or month-old dog, you would want to start conditioning to the type of exercise you're going to be doing every day. But if you just have some some great excitement from bringing home a puppy and you're trying to get yourself on a new exercise routine, then a lot of times you're you're setting your dog up for something that's not going to be sustainable Mm -hmm. because our dogs a lot of times will meet our expectations. And people tend to think of these big dogs as sort of field dogs, but golden retrievers are very often service dogs who are, are hardly getting any exercise at all physically. And those are still very happy. I mean, there are, of course, exceptions, but still very happy working dogs who are not running in field eight miles a day and mm-hmm. yet still remain very calm and obedient. Mm-hmm. When somebody asks me how long I should exercise my dog or when I should start exercising my puppy, I always refer them back to their, their veterinarian just to make sure that we're all on the same page as far as, you know, because things change over time and Sometimes people want to just jump in and start running with their puppy or young dog when that may not be in the dog's best interest right out of the gate. Yes, I think that there has been a lot of misinformation about puppy growth and puppy development. And certainly what you were saying before, it's it's quite inappropriate to put an 8, a 10, a 12, even a 16-week-old puppy on a 6-foot lead and walk them mm-hmm. at your pace through a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, all that's right. really not a great thing for them at all. One, it can cause injuries and also it can create an uneven and an unbalanced pace that your dog is now learning to match your pace instead of learning to walk at its own natural pace. 
that can create behavioral issues such as barking and pulling and lunging because the dog is uncomfortable, um, but it can also create physical injuries as well. That's correct. Right. What about the puppy biting? Oh, yeah. So (laughs) puppy biting is a really interesting topic that I think is also open to a lot of different opinions. I will say personally that one of the things I see most often when people get puppies is this misunderstanding of puppy biting versus puppy teething. Teething is a physical thing that the puppy is going through, and the pain of teething is almost always relieved by the dog chewing on something with their back molars. So not chewing with the front, like they're um, de-stuffing something, but chewing with the back, like a bone, where they really want to have it in the back of their mouth. That's Mm -hmm. usually what's pain relieving. And so puppy sort of mouthing or biting, or the puppy just follows you around and, you know, grabs your, you know, ankles or grabs your elbows or Mm -hmm. grabs whatever, that is a developmental stage. And these two things are dealt with differently, but they happen around the same time. And so a lot of times puppy biting and puppy mouthing, when it's not dealt with correctly, turns into a learned behavior where the puppy is seeking engagement from the owner and learns that biting them always results in engagement, whether bad or good. And so it's continued through adolescence, much to the dismay of the owner. (laughs) Right. And Kama, during your training, that was a word that I heard you say over and over. And I think it would be interesting to talk a little bit about it. What do you mean by puppies wanting to engage? Our puppies come into the world And all of their genetics and all of their instincts are telling them to jump, to bite, to dig, to run, to chase, to bark. They're telling them to do everything that we as owners are generally trying to quell inside the house and manage just outside the house. But, of course, puppies spend the majority of their time inside with us. And so what's happening is that as the puppy is growing and their genetics and their brain and their instincts are telling them to engage in the world in this way, we are becoming the main focus of a lot of those behaviors because we are generally, or our children, or our other pets, are the most interesting things in the environment. When a puppy is just sitting there and it wakes up, everything in its body is telling it, you know, chase, hunt, jump, capture, bite, pull apart, dig, jump. (laughs) Um, And we are there to say, no, 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 don't do any of those things. Or if you have to do them, do them with this toy over here (laughs) quietly. (laughs) And so our puppies are looking to engage with the environment. They're looking for engagement. They're looking to satisfy the needs of their ancestral animal selves. And they're like little sponges, aren't they? They just soak up all of this uh, very quickly. Uh, Yes. I mean, one of the great things, and also I think one of the stressful things for owners is that puppies actually pick up things really quickly. A lot of times, even when puppies are 8 to 10 weeks old and they come to meet me, the owner is very happy to say, oh, they know how to sit. Oh, they're walking so well on a leash. Or, or whatever thing the puppy is doing, but very quickly it becomes apparent that those things are only going to happen under certain conditions. And then as the puppy gets bigger, if 
more conditions have not been trained, the puppy will not respond the same way generally upsets people. <laughs> well, and Kema, we, we talked about that in my podcast with Pat Caston when we talked about the importance of proofing dogs and how that's pretty typical for people to come to puppy class or any kind of dog training class and say, oh, my dog knows how to sit. I don't know why they don't know how to sit in class. Well, that's because they know how to sit in their house where there aren't sounds and distractions. But once they get to class... All bets are off if you haven't proofed for distractions. Yes, absolutely. And I think that can be really frustrating for both the puppy and the owner. Mm-hmm. Proofing is very important. <laughs> I, I tend to tell everyone to think of a behavior not as if the puppy knows it or doesn't know it, but to think of a behavior as strong or weak. So a puppy might know sit, um, and it might have a very strong sit in the kitchen, but it might have a very weak sit when people come to the door. Mm-hmm. And so thinking of it sort of as not just a black or white pass or fail, but sort of a continuum of skills can can set you up for some a better expectation, I think, of, of what to expect of, that your puppy is able to do. Well, one thing I, I'm finding out, too, is every moment is a teachable moment. In another podcast episode, we, we called it kitchen training, where... You know, when you're in the kitchen where you're just doing life events, also make that a training moment for your puppy. If you're cooking and it's like an ideal time for, you know, a puppy sit, you have like a some food or something and, and you want to teach a sit, you know, that's a short training moment that actually you don't have to do 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour. Just catch these little moments and that's productive sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, when we have one of the services that I offer is training puppies in my home. And when I train them in my home, they stay with me for a few weeks. And I do, of course, to teach them specific skills like down or stay or wait, I take about 10 minutes a few times a day to practice that. But the overwhelming majority of the time that I'm training them is not more than a few minutes just in the moment. And one of the most critical things to having a well-trained puppy is really preventing them from doing unwanted behavior. And I'd say that in the first 18 weeks, that's really probably 95% of all training is preventing unwanted behavior. And with our puppies, that generally looks like using baby gates to separate rooms or keeping them on a leash next to you or keeping them on a tether in the same room as you making sure that there are treats nearby so you can reinforce behavior that you want, making sure that they have a safe space like a kennel or an X-Pen when you're not able to be in the same room with them, and certainly if you leave the house. And Mm -hmm. almost always, I think people are truly amazed that so many of these behavioral problems are really actually just part of a developmental stage through that first 16 to 18 weeks where the puppy is seeking engagement through all those puppy things I talked about, you know, engagement with their mouth, engagement with their paws, you know, all of that on its own will begin to subside as long as you do a very, very good job of not allowing it to be reinforced. Boy, that's really important. I'm I'm trying to think of the cute puppy things that we don't want to continue when they're 60, 70, 80 pounds, right? So Yeah, I 
I think a lot of things that's really difficult is that um, when you get a puppy, you're so excited and you bring them home and you want to do all these things with them. But truly, they are very, very little. Um, I mean, they just like how we were saying, they're not really ready to go on walks. They're mm-hmm. not really ready to do a lot of things <laughs> that mm-hmm. we think of in terms of, you know, how we interact with our dogs. Um, they're not really ready to have a lot of people come over. They're not really ready to learn fetch. You know, they're not really ready to go on a five-mile hike with us. They're not really ready to just hang out while our kids run in circles. I mean, all of these things they're just not ready for. And if if you can set them up to succeed by by keeping them on a leash and preventing them from chasing your children and biting them and preventing them from sneaking off to pee in the other room just before it happens and not after it happens, then past 18 weeks, it become you have a much easier to train dog. Well, and I think sometimes we inadvertently reinforce the wrong behavior. For example, when taking a puppy or an adult dog to the veterinarian and they become fearful and then petting the dog and saying, it's okay. And that actually reinforces the fear instead of calming the puppy down, right? Yeah. So I actually don't believe that. I think that there are times when we can, I think for sure, certainly, that we do inadvertently reinforce the, the behavior we don't want all the mm-hmm. time. And that's actually one of the downfalls of using positive reinforcement training that a lot of people run into is we call it chaining. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if someone comes to the door and your dog jumps up and then you say sit and then you give your dog a treat, you have chained this the jump up behavior into the greeting and oftentimes we don't want that and so then the person uses that as sort of a measure of saying hey you know i'm i'm reinforcing this behavior that i don't want and that's certainly true when it comes to behavior now when it comes to emotion the information that we've been given by animal behaviorists so far is that emotion cannot be reinforced through comfort So if your dog is fearful and you are trying to comfort your dog, certainly just by, you know, petting them or giving them some type of treat that they like or any any number, giving them a break, anything we do to comfort them, then that should actually help the fear subside and make the experience easier for them. But certainly there are times when it, it can be very muddied. Another time this happens often is when dogs are barking on leash. So a lot of times we don't want dogs barking on leash at people. And one of the very common protocols to this is to get your dog to look up at you and reinforce them while they're walking by someone before they bark. But very often what happens is that the dog barks at the person, looks at the owner, and then the owner gives a treat. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so when it's done in that order, you certainly do run the risk of putting, chaining the barking behavior into the walk with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that you run the risk of creating more aggression through that, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Uh, maybe said another way, when we purposely train dogs for protection work and to, as guard dogs, we don't give them treats for barking at people. And we don't say, oh, that, that's okay. That's okay. Be afraid. It, it, that will have no effect at all on and getting them when we do want them to guard a house. So if you sort of look at the inverse of what we do when we want that behavior, 
it's not to say, oh, it's okay, it's okay, <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. So sometimes it's easy to put our own human emotions on our animals when really they behave in a very predictable way for the circumstances, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is another sort of, you know, nuance. I think so much when I think of dog training, there, uh, Ken Ramirez has a famous for saying, it depends, you know, it depends. <laughs> and I think that another way to say it is that dog training is very nuanced because dogs themselves are so individual and humans themselves are so individual. And the things that humans want from their dogs is endlessly different from person to person. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways, it can be quite nice to understand that dogs do react in predictable ways. But in some ways, it's very similar. I mean, humans also very often react to things in predictable ways. Um, We know that if a human is afraid, they will act one way. And we know if a dog is afraid, they will generally act one way. And so knowing this through studying, you know, thousands of dogs and their responses, it does give us a predictable pattern that we're more able to manipulate when we need to. But certainly no dog is going to follow a certain step of behavior. And and very oftentimes when we're using behavior modification tools or plans, a dog will act some way that none of us predicted. And then we uh, very quickly have to change our response. There are so many ways and things one can do to train a puppy. What are you doing today to build new paths for your puppy? I'd like you to go to my website at animalacademypodcast.com, fill out the quick web form, and tell me all about it. Wow, great perspective from Kama from Force to Dog Training. We're going to take a break during the Animal Academy podcast. We'll be right back. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is, why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with the Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Do you like what you're hearing during this episode of the Animal Academy podcast? If so, consider having your business, organization, or effort connect with me to see how you can sponsor or be featured inside this podcast. Visit my website over at AnimalAcademyPodcast.com and let's have a conversation. Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great, cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm, your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com. Welcome back to the Animal Academy podcast. 
We're talking to Kema from Forced to Dog Training, and we're back to find out more about the services and offers she has. Welcome back, Kema. Thank you. I was just wondering, could you talk a little bit about the importance of using games and play to train a puppy? Yes, absolutely. So using games through training, I think, is one of the best ways to train your puppy. So puppies, as you sort of mentioned before, have a very small window of time that they're able to focus on what you're trying to teach them. And using games can extend that time. So one of the small tricks that you can use to keep your puppy's engagement is to throw the treats um, or to make the toy move on the floor before you give it to them. Mm -hmm. So if you're using, for example, if you're trying to teach your puppy to come when called, you might have them on a long line and you might call their name. And when they come to you, instead of simply just giving them a treat, you might throw the treat, you know, a, a few inches away. So they have to run and chase the treat and catch it. Or if you're using a toy to reinforce them, you might wiggle the toy on the ground for a few seconds and then really sort of tug it with them. So the, the reinforcement value is higher because often when we're asking our puppies to come when called, we're asking them to stop doing something that's very interesting to them and to come back to us. Mm-hmm. And if when they come back to us, we have nothing to offer or we just have like a, a biscuit we've gotten out of the box. <laughs> then next time they might not come when we call them. <laughs> that happened me happened to me today with my puppy. I called him to come inside, and he'd rather chew on a stick. So I had to get a higher-value treat because he doesn't know the recall. He doesn't know what come means. Yes, yes. And I find that um, very often, just like you were saying before, with the building blocks, a lot of times, a lot of building blocks get overlooked. Um, a lot of times what happens when I generally see my customers in person every week is I'll go um, out one week and I'll say, you know, every time you call the puppy, I want you to give them a treat every single time, no matter what, whether it's bad or good, even if they're chewing on a shoe, I want you to say, you know, Max, come and I want you to give them a treat, whatever they're doing. And then they'll say, okay, yeah, I can do that. And then I'll go back a week later and they'll say, well, we felt like we were giving them too many treats. So, you know, we really called our name quite often and, you know, they were eating so many treats during the day and not eating their food. And it just seems like we're re- you know, reinforcing all this bad behavior. You don't quite realize how often you are calling your puppy unless you have to give your puppy a treat every single time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and once you have to give your puppy a treat every single time, it becomes very apparent that you are actually saying your puppy's name dozens of times a day and often it's it's to ask the puppy to stop doing something that they enjoy that their natural instincts are you know telling them to do and so that if that just occurs even for a few days there can be a really big breakdown in communication and focus um, because certainly we cannot stop our dogs from learning that chewing is fun and jumping is fun and barking is fun you know, their brain tells them that those things are fun. And all we can do is come after the fact and punish them for it. I mean, that's not all we can do, but that is something we can do. And certainly, once you get into the mode of punishing your puppy after they've done something that they enjoy, you are on the wrong side of the relationship that you want to have. And I don't mean that even from an emotional standpoint. I mean that just from a biddable standpoint. If you want a very biddable dog, you need to reinforce 
the behaviors that you want every single time. And you need to reinforce them in a way that motivates the dog to do it again and again. And if you as the trainer are not motivating the dog or you are not consistent with the reinforcement, then the behavior that you want will fade away. And the behavior that the dog wants, the dog will seek to do more and more often. Mm -hmm. How unrealistic are people's expectations when it comes to puppy training? Because I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you that uh, I fall into that category where I'm going to have to try to figure out how often I say my dog's name and expect him to stop something that he's really enjoying doing to just like stop doing it uh, without any kind of reinforcement. So that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that the expectations, just from what I've seen, are wildly um, variant by owner. But typically, the expectations that most people have for their dogs are extremely high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Another very common thing that I hear is, my dog won't stop biting me. Like, biting is, is probably the number one issue that I... Coming when called is biting. <laughs> and I'll say, well, what are you doing when the puppy is biting you? Well, I'm just petting him. Okay, well, how old is he? Oh, 12 weeks. Well, 12-week-old 12 12 puppies don't typically like to be pet. And I know that comes as a surprise to most people, but that's, that's sort of like hugging a toddler. Like, there are times when toddlers like to cuddle, certainly when they've just woken up or when they're sleepy or when they're exhausted. But typically, toddlers don't want to cuddle with you. They want you to play with them. They want you to get a toy. They want you to engage with them. And that is really hand-in-hand hand with juvenile dog behavior. You know, these do our dogs are not primates. They do not want cuddles and touch and hugging. That is all things that we have to teach them through training. It's not something that they would ever encounter if it wasn't for humans intervening in their lives. And it's not something that they would really seek out. Um, now, certainly they would seek to be close to us. And you'll see that many puppies from a very early age, if given a whole room, will choose to sit right next to an owner's foot and lie down. But then when you reach down to pet them, they will turn around and start biting you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and a lot of times that is because the engagement that they're looking for is to satisfy their natural need to bite and to chew and to chase. And if during the developmental stage of, zero to 18 weeks, certainly, but even past that for a lot of breeds, if you can be the person that's consistently satisfying that need and then wait till they're tired to cuddle them or wait until they're exhausted to cuddle them, then you will naturally get the puppy that you're wanting. But if you, you know, if the puppy is full of energy and full of excitement and you're just hoping to sit there and pet them and cuddle them, a lot of owners find that that is when their dog is biting them. And that is generally what starts the breakdown of the dog being punished for doing something and the owner feeling upset and stressed that the dog isn't able to just let them have it done to them. That makes a lot of sense. So really find a different way to engage them until they start calming down and then you can start cuddling with them. Exactly, exactly. And a lot of times dog breeders and people who engage with tons of puppies all the time will always say, well, we don't have a problem with this. And I'll say, well, you know, have you been trying, have you been petting them? And they'll say, well, no, <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because it's, it's our natural response as owners that we want to cuddle and hug on our puppies 
But when you are used to being around, you know, dozens of puppies a month or dozens of puppies a year as breeders and trainers are, we don't try to engage with them in that way. And so we don't often get bit at all through puppy biting. Okay. Now, Kama, what about socializing a puppy? During this pandemic, this is really a challenge, but is it is it possible? Yeah, you know, in some ways, the pandemic has been really great for puppy socialization. There's another myth when it comes to raising puppies that we need to get them into the hands of as many people as we can and physically into a space with other puppies as often as we can. And some of that information works well for some puppies, but there's quite a few puppies that that is that that advice is not working well for. And so in one way, the pandemic has been great because a lot of puppies, either because they are shy or because they are quieter or because that is just their natural personality, they like to sort of observe and see, you know, children playing before they engage with children. Or they like to see someone pushing a stroller down the road uh, before the stroller, you know, comes over to them and stops and someone pets them. Or they like to hear a loud noise before they're, you know, on a six-foot leash within 10 feet of it. And so for a lot of puppies, the social distancing has given them an opportunity to really observe the world around them without being forced to engage in those novel situations. But on the flip side, I have seen some of the puppies that I've been working with through this pandemic are more, they're certainly, they because they missed the opportunity to engage with some of these things, they are now overly cautious of them. And a lot of times overly cautious behavior could look like backing up, barking, avoiding a situation. And it looks sort of like the early stages of aggression. And it certainly can go that way, of course, if if we don't take moments to um, assure the dog that it's okay and expose the dog to the situation over and over. So uh, certainly it's been sort of like a mixed bag of results. Well, and I have Shelties, and it's a huge problem later on if they don't um, have early socialization to get over some of those fears. Yes, so Shelties are certainly a breed that tend to um, fall on the more timid side when it comes to novel experiences. And so Shelties are certainly a breed that would really benefit from being in a class with six other puppies and or even six other dogs of different ages, but being able to see and smell and walk over different surfaces and hear different sounds, that would be really critical for a dog that sort of errs on the side of hesitation. Kama, from from what you said, it, it sounds like there's some positives regarding training during the pandemic, which, you know, is just kind of this shadow of gloom, like, oh, I have this new puppy and I'm not going to be able to do the things that I wanted to do. But actually, it's it's gone okay. And you know, I've taken your training class that's been online and, and learned some of the basic skills, done some games and, you know, had some fun with him. And he seems to be turning out okay. Yeah, I think I think that um, that what you described is really how I've been feeling. So while I've been um, teaching this training class online, a lot of the videos I've been taking, well, all the videos actually are from the puppies that continue to get dropped off at my house for me to train during the day. And so I have seen over these last, you know, probably about 24 weeks now that there certainly have been some really great things that have come out of the pandemic. One of them being able to give this information online. And like I said, I mean, you just get so much more information than I'd ever be able to deliver 
you know, in six weeks. Mm -hmm. But then certainly at the same time, you know, there's, there's these gaps in, in their education because we're just not able to expose them to everything we want to because we're sort of limited to our neighborhoods or our yards. But we do what we can. <laughs> yes. And, and honestly, there, it's never too late to do anything with a dog. I mean, one of the greatest things about dogs, and I think what's made them such a popular pet, is that they truly are adaptable. They are a very adaptable species, and they are, you know, one of the few animals that you can move from owner to owner, and they will, you know, adapt and fit, for the most part, <laughs> with a new routine. And, you know, there's a lot of animals that certainly can't do that. They require very specific conditions, and our dogs are subjected to the full range of human life and human emotion. And, you know, they are not um, kept in cages or kept in laboratories. They are free to um, experience uh, most of everything that we are able to experience. And they handle it really, really well. I mean, they really do. I have to say that's one of my favorite things about dogs is their ability to sort of just take life with, <laughs> with all that it offers and find a way to make it work for them. So if there's anything that a dog is struggling with now, um, an owner always has time to change the behavior and they always have time to help the dog get through something or engage in a different way. And maybe not always to the degree that we would have gotten had we done it before 16 weeks, but um, always certainly to some degree. Kama, thanks so much for adding that positive spin on the pandemic. Because it has been a rough time for everybody, and I really appreciate the fact that so many people have gotten dogs, cats, other animals, and are experiencing the human-animal connection, which is really, really powerful. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, isolation for humans and dogs is punishing, and I think that being able to share our space with dogs is important every day, but certainly more important if we're having to isolate and social distance. Mm -hmm. Well, Kama, thank you so much. Do you have anything else that you'd like to share during this episode? I can't think of anything. I think we pretty much covered everything. Uh, keeping expectations correct for uh, juvenile dogs and uh, using games and treats and toys to reinforce behavior we want and sort of uh, making sure that we understand what's appropriate and not appropriate for their age. I think those were all really good critical things to, to think about and talk about. Well, Kama, I, I really appreciate you being on this episode and for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's always fun to talk about dogs and trading. <laughs> I always enjoy talking about dogs and trading. So thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, of course. There can be no doubt that the training of dogs, but puppies in general, is an ongoing practice that allows us to engage with our animals. That won't end anytime soon. Details like the ones that Kama offered us during this episode provide some great fundamentals, fresh perspective, and paths that you can try with your puppies to make the lessons they learn early last. Have you got a differing perspective you'd like to share when it comes to dog training? Enlighten my listeners by visiting my website at animalacademypodcast.com and tell us what you think. The best part of Kama's conversation here is that, even in a period of time like a global pandemic, it is vital that we engage and teach our young animals what to do, when to do it, and how to create an environment that is fulfilling for everyone in your household. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Animal Academy podcast. 
Detailed contact information and links for each of the guests and resources provided inside this episode can be found at my website, animalacademypodcast.com. I'm Allison White, licensed clinical social worker specializing in the human-animal connection. Let's share and learn from the animals in the next episode of the Animal Academy Podcast.